Well, I think after that uh, tremendous singing, we just need to have a word of prayer. Shall we bow together? Father, it's indeed a privilege to be able to glorify your name. And I think of the verse that you have written, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than that of Jesus. And so, Father, we want to acknowledge you and your Son and your Spirit this day. We thank you so much for the privilege of being here. And, Father, we just ask that you might bless our time, that you might teach us, and you might impart to us something that will help change our lives. And for this, we're grateful. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to, this morning, for a few minutes, discuss with you a word that I think um, you have used often. In fact, uh, I would say that most of you have used it in the last week. It's the word uh, fellowship. How many of you have used it at least once over this last week? Maybe you've uh, said, let's go have some fellowship after church, or or after a Bible study. Maybe you were uh, saying to somebody, boy, that person is out of fellowship with the Lord. It could have been a number of ways. I remember using it Wednesday in one of my classes. And we hear that term, and I wonder if we really know what it means to have fellowship, or what the term even means. So I'd like to take a few minutes uh, this morning and I'd like to talk about the term fellowship. It's an interesting term. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. And I'd like to, in a sense, define it. I'd also like to see how it is used in the New Testament. What does it mean? Fellowship has the idea of partnership, of uh, sharing something with someone of having something in common. So when you say that you're going to have fellowship after church, what are you saying? Are you saying, well, we're going to go out and eat together and talk together? Well, maybe. That's usually what we connote with fellowship. Isn't it interesting how much of Christian things are around meals? You ever ask yourself that? What would we do if we didn't have food? I mean, we just might not have a Bible study. We might not even go to church. I mean, there's always things going on that involve fellowship after church or after a Bible study. And usually that means food. And usually it means good food, like desserts and all the good stuff. And um, while that may certainly be a part of fellowship, uh, fellowship means a lot more than that. It means a sharing of having in common, of a participation, of a partnership. Therefore, it implies a relationship that is one of commitment to one another, where two people commit themselves to each other. Now, in the New Testament, it's used two ways, two primary ways. It's used to denote our relationship with God, that is, our vertical relationship, and it's used to denote our relationship with one another, that is, our horizontal relationship. 
In other words, it's really an all-encompassing term. So when you say you're having fellowship with one another, you need to realize it means a lot more than just having coffee and donuts and talking around a table. That it really involves our vertical as well as our horizontal relationship. Let me show you what I mean. Of the 27 times that it is used in the New Testament, 12 times it directly involves our vertical relationship with God. And 15 times it directly involves our horizontal relationship with man. I would like to spend most of the time today discussing our vertical relationship and how that is implied in the term fellowship. And as we have time then to discuss our horizontal and maybe another time to discuss it more in depth. Look with me at some passages as we begin to see how fellowship is used vertically. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And we'll see the first illustration. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, last verse of the book. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So there it implies that we have fellowship with the Spirit. So we have fellowship with the Son, we have fellowship with the Spirit. In Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, we see another illustration. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. There again, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then look with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Here's what it says. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Then move on down through um, into verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, that is Christ, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now this is rather fascinating because it indicates that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that this fellowship is because we are Christians. Now if that is true, and it is, then there is no way we can ever lose our fellowship. You can't ever be out of fellowship. Because if you're ever out of fellowship, it means you're not a Christian. 
because it says that because we are in Him, we have fellowship with Him. Therefore, as Christians, we will always have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean when somebody says they are out of fellowship? Or somebody says they are walking away from fellowship? Well, it doesn't mean they've lost their fellowship or they were never saved. But what it does mean is that we have lost the joy of our fellowship, the experiential joy of fellowship. Now, how do we lose the experiential joy of fellowship? Well, you know, we all do it through sin, through lack of maturity, through not being devoted to the Word of God, through not having a proper perspective of the situations we are going through. We can lose the joy of fellowship. But don't ever say you're out of fellowship because that's an untrue statement. True biblical fellowship means that we have that fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit and it's unending and unchanging and will always be. But let's talk about the joy of the fellowship, the vertical relationship, being out of the joy of our fellowship or the experiential aspect of our fellowship. We can feel like we're not close to Him. We can feel like we've lost that kind of joy. And sometimes it's because of the pressures we're going through. Sometimes it's because of the sin that we're in and we haven't dealt with it. Sometimes it's because we just haven't gotten into the Word in a while and we're just losing that. And sometimes, you know, it's just because we've lost that perspective of who God is. And I think all of those contribute to the joy of fellowship. So what do we need to do to have joy of fellowship? Well, certainly we need to evaluate our lives and if there's something that's hindering our relationship in terms of sin, let's deal with it. I mean, that, that's to be expected. And you've heard that over and over again, to confess and repent of the sin that's hindering us from the joy of our fellowship. Secondly, I think that it's very important to be in the Word regularly. And I don't mean to read the Word because you have to do it for a class or because you're required to read the, the Bible for a survey or because you have to study something to do a paper. I mean to read it because you just want to be in devotion to the Lord. That would be another way of restoring that joy of fellowship. I think there's a third way Maybe a number of ways, but a third way would certainly be to have a proper perspective on who God is. And I think I'd like to spend a little time talking about that. What do you mean having a proper perspective? In other words, when all these things come into your life and you start to lose some of the perspective of joy, what do you think about God? What comes into your mind when you think about God? And I think... If we can truly understand who God is in the midst of all that's going on, then I think that that will certainly contribute to having a joy of fellowship, of having the joy of what we're like in the Lord. And I think there's three things that would really help us to have a proper perspective on God. I think there are three things that could help us to certainly trust God more to give us that perspective so that in the midst of all the pressures of school and relationships and everything else that's going on with you, that the joy would be there. 
I think if we understood that God is absolutely sovereign, if we understood that God is infinitely wise, and if we understood that God is perfectly loving, I think that would go far to helping us have a proper perspective, not only in dealing with our own sinfulness, not only in having a proper devotion, but in restoring the joy of our fellowship. Let me talk about those three for just a moment. His sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty. How many of you believe that he is absolutely sovereign? I think Doug Bookman talked about his providential aspect a few weeks ago. And it's along the same line. But how many of you believe that he is in absolute control of everything that goes on? Oh, we can say it. But how do we believe it? I mean, do we really believe that? And do we believe it when things are actually coming in on us? He is in control. He is elevated above the highest creature. He is the most high, Lord of heaven and earth. He's subject to no one. He's influenced by no one. He's absolutely independent. He does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. No one can thwart him or hinder him. He's always on the throne of the universe. He directs all things and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. His sovereignty covers everything and everyone. But we don't always realize his sovereignty. We realize it after the fact, not usually before the fact. Hindsight is very good for us. We don't always know it when we're going through it because it's not always apparent. In Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. In Isaiah 43.13, it says, There's no one who can deliver out of my hand. In Isaiah 46.10, it says, I'm going to accomplish my good purpose. You see, God sovereignly will intervene in the hearts of people so that they'll make decisions and carry out His plans that accomplish His purposes. And He does it in such a way so that we make the decisions and He gets the glory and we grow in the process. I don't know how that all works out, but it does. But do we have that perspective? Does that help us to restore the joy of our fellowship? And even though we don't always see Him working, we can certainly see the results of what He's done. Who would have thought in our lifetime, even in your lifetime, but particularly in mine, who would have thought that we would have seen communism come crumbling down in Russia and Eastern Europe? Who would have ever thought that the Berlin Wall would come tumbling down? And would you have thought several years ago that you would be here at the Master's College? I mean, looking back on all of these things, we see how God has worked His will to accomplish His purpose so that you are where you are and the world is where it is right now and we don't know what all is happening and we look bleakly at the next few years and... We don't know what God's doing there, but you know what? He's on His throne. He hasn't fallen off. He's still there, and He's still doing what He's going to do to accomplish His purposes in yours and my life. Now, that's a perspective we need to have if we're going to have the joy of fellowship. But do we trust that He's sovereign and in control? Can you honestly say that? Alan Redpath said this, great statement. He said, 
there is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. Now, if it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, then no sorrow can ever disturb me, no trial can ever disarm me, no circumstance can ever cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. That is the rest of victory. And I would say that is the joy of fellowship. Fellowship vertically. Fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. A second aspect of this sort of triad of thoughts regarding a perspective is uh, his infinity in wisdom or infinitely wise. Now, we can trust that God is sovereign. We can trust that he's in control. Have you ever asked yourself sometimes whether God's made a mistake? Maybe he blew it with you. Maybe he did something and you just didn't think that was the right thing he ought to do, should have done. And you're asking the question, God, did you really do the right, did you really mean to do this? But you know, he never makes mistakes. He never deliberates. He never agonizes over a decision. He never consults others. And certainly he never consults you and me. All his decisions and all his acts are absolutely the best that could ever be done. And it is always for his glory and our growth. Always. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 implies that just as the heavens are as high as or higher above the earth, that we can't understand that concept, just in the same way his thoughts and his ways are higher above ours and we can't understand that either. You know, usually when um, something goes on and we start experiencing the, the, the lessening of the joy of that fellowship, we start demanding that God change something. Um, we, we start asking Him to, to get us out of the situation. We start confessing everything we've ever done and everything we even think we have done, thinking that that will automatically get us out of the situation. Then we try to comprehend fully what the situation is. All of these are wrong. We've got to allow God to be God. He is wise. His wisdom is fathomless. It is, it is beyond comprehension. It is unsearchable. His methods are mysterious and untraceable. No one has ever understood Him, let alone advised Him. So, True joy in fellowship is recognizing that God is sovereign, having that perspective, recognizing that God is truly, infinitely wise, that He knows the best and He will do the best. And thirdly, I think a third perspective is recognizing in this pers overall perspective of the joy of fellowship is that 
he is perfect in his love. When we're in the midst of what we're going through, and I'm certain that you guys are going through it, as is the faculty. This is getting toward the end of the year. A lot of things are going on. Not just studies, but that's certainly a major, major factor. And when we're in the midst of all this, we're tempted to doubt that God really loves us. And we, uh, we can't keep from being tempted sometimes to doubt His love. Yet if we're to really honor God, we ought not to let these temptations linger very long. One man said this. He said, To question the goodness and love of God is in essence to imply that man is more concerned about goodness and love than God is. And of course, once you believe that or even suggest that, then you're subverting the very nature of God. As you know, love is action. It's something you do. And so to describe God's love, we ought to describe how He loves us in action. Let me give you a few ways that God loves us in action. His love is uninfluenced. You know what that means? It means that there was nothing in us that would cause Him to love us. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing in you and nothing in me that would cause Him to love us. He does it because He does it. His love is eternal. There's nothing in the beginning or ending of His love that will ever change. It's, it's eternal. There's no end, no beginning to it. Jeremiah says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. His love is infinite. It's without limits. There's no height nor depth to His love. His love is immutable, unchangeable. He loves us despite what we do. I think of Romans 8, 38, where there's no height nor depth nor any created thing. None of that can ever separate us from the love of God. His love is holy. It's not regulated by passion or emotion or a sentiment, but it's regulated by principle. It's not weakness or softness. You know, sometimes we look for tokens of His love. How do you look for tokens of His love? Probably in how happy you are. And I do that. We look to see if He has if He truly loves us by whether we're happy right now. You know what we ought to be looking at? We ought to be looking at His tokens of love in His faithfulness toward us and His persistent work to conform us to His image. Not happiness, but His faithfulness. Well, God's love is also gracious, compassionate, merciful, unfailing, and because His love doesn't fail, He will allow into our lives whatever pain and whatever hurt and whatever heartache that is best for us. And even the grief that comes into our lives is tempered with His compassion and His mercy. Listen to this illustration of a story of a mother who one day found under her placemat at breakfast a bill made out by her eight-year-old son. Bradley. Mother owes Bradley for running errands, 25 cents. For being good, 10 cents. 
for taking music lessons, 15 cents, for extras, whatever, 5 cents, total 55 cents. Mother smiled but made no comment. At lunch, Bradley found the bill under his plate with 55 cents and another piece of paper neatly folded just like the other one. Opening it, he read, Bradley owes mother for nursing him through scarlet fever, nothing. For being good to him, nothing. For clothes, shoes, and playthings, nothing. For his playroom, nothing. For his meals, nothing. Total, nothing. Well, that's how God is. That's how God is. We try to get him to owe us. He doesn't owe us a thing. So we see how the joy of true biblical fellowship is demonstrated vertically. It's demonstrated through confession. It's demonstrated through devotion. And it's demonstrated through proper perspective. Understanding that God is sovereign, absolutely, wise, infinitely, and loving perfectly. And if we have that idea of true fellowship, then the horizontal relationship, the horizontal fellowship, which is mentioned 15 times in the New Testament, will result. And let me just give you a couple of thoughts on the horizontal. There are several commands in the scriptures that talk about how we ought to respond to one another. Many have called them the one another commands. There are over 50 of them, but there are 27 different ones. Let me just read to you some of them. And all of these are a result of our vertical relationship. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. Have the same care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forbear one another. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive. Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Bear with one another. Comfort one another. Encourage. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable. Be humble. And love. All of those are a direct result of our fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the significant points to be made about these one another commands is just that. They are commands. Now, you know what we're to do with a command? We're required to do it. It's not an option. We don't have a choice in the matter. If He commands us to do something, we are required to do that. And it's a matter of our will. It's not a matter of our feeling. Now, regarding these commands, you need to realize that when we obey these commands, it is unconditional. That it takes a lot of effort. It's not easy to obey these commands. And we fail at them a lot. It takes a lot of commitment. But if we have true biblical fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit then these do result. It takes a lot of time and a lot of care and a lot of involvement and a lot of risk and a lot of sacrifice. 
It brings spiritual growth. As we fulfill these commands, we grow. It takes constant evaluation and recognition of failure. It takes repentance because we blow it. We blow it regularly. And it takes a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. Let me just mention a few of them, put them into a context and see if this is characteristic of you and if you're experiencing the joy of true biblical fellowship because of your vertical and because of the horizontal. Let me just read some to you. For honoring one another, do you choose, and I, I use the word choose because it's a commandment, so it's a matter of our will. Do you choose to value or esteem or regard someone else more important than yourself? That's tough. We're by nature quite self-centered. And we like to do things that we like to do and we're pretty selfish. Do you treat somebody honestly as more important than yourself? Another one. Having the same mind toward one another, do you choose to be in harmony and unity with those that you are around or with those that are above you or even with those that are below you in authority? Do you choose to be in harmony and unity? It's a mindset. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Another one. Exhortation. Do you choose to risk a friendship and confront someone else concerning their behavior and direct them toward a right behavior? Now, that's a tough one because the last thing in the world you and I want to do is to have to tell somebody that they're not doing right. That's very hard. Do you choose to do that because of your fellowship with one another? Bearing a burden. Do you choose to come alongside someone else whose burden is too great to bear by themselves and help them get through it regardless of the cost or sacrifice to you? Now, that's another tough one. Do you choose to bear another's burden? Confess. Do you choose to go and confess your sin to another if you have offended them? Forgive. Do you choose to forgive another and accept undeserved suffering and bear the penalty of the other person's sin against you, regardless of whether they ever come to you to ask for forgiveness or not? Do you forgive them? See, this is a mindset. This is a choice. And this is a result of our vertical fellowship with Christ, with the Son, or with the Spirit, and with the Father. These are just several choices that we can make. We can make choices with all of those one another commands. And every one of them demands a choice. So I guess in, in conclusion we can say that biblical fellowship, wouldn't you say, is a little more than just having coffee and donuts after Bible study and uh, talking together? I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's recognizing your joy of fellowship vertically, and then your commandments horizontally. 
And I guarantee you that if you would just think about those and seek to have a proper perspective that God is sovereign, that God is infinitely wise, and He's perfectly loving, and risk, risk choosing to commit yourself to one another, then I think you will experience a joy of fellowship that you've never had. Let's pray. Father, we, we do desire to be experiencing the joy of our fellowship with you. And we realize that fellowship is not the issue. Joy is. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to confess, to have the proper perspective, to risk with one another, and, Father, that you will cause growth to come from that and glory to yourself. Lord, how much we love you and how much we want to be like you. And yet it's difficult. We ask for your help. And help us to, to recognize that you really are in control, that you really are so wise, perfectly wise, and that you are totally and completely loving toward us, and that you will do whatever needs to be done to make us what you want us to be. And we thank you. And we say we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.